today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. the weapons of our warfare gang they're spiritual they're not swords and daggers and bows and arrows weapons of our warfare are spiritual maybe god hasn't called you to teach a sunday school class or lead a bible study or some of these other areas but you know what maybe god has called you to be the prayer warrior to be the one with the bow or the arrow or the sword whatever it might be to stand besides those that are doing that Are there needs within the body? Absolutely. But one of the greatest needs that we have within this fellowship is the prayers of the saints. Perhaps you're discouraged that the Lord hasn't called you to a specific ministry. In his message today, Pastor David speaks a word of encouragement to you. The truth is that every ministry needs a prayer warrior. We don't fight our enemy with the weapons of this world. Instead, you're called to fight with the weapons the Lord has provided. One way to fight against the ruler of this world is with prayer. So even if the Lord has not called you to your ideal area of ministry, you can still serve as a mighty prayer warrior. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1 as he continues his message, Temples and Towers. Paul tells us throughout his writings, every part of the body is necessary. Each part adds into that body. And I see that again illustrated here in what Nehemiah is doing. The work was being accomplished and each one did their part. No one was sitting back. Oh, we find out a little bit later that actually the nobles were sitting back. They were a little bit too good to be working on the wall, but Nehemiah jumps on their case too. Chapter 4, the enemy, again, he's now becoming even more bold in his attack, a fellow by the name of Sanballat and Tobiah the Ammonite. They began to verbalizing their attack more and more. Look at verse 2. What are these feeble Jews doing? You're not a stone mason, you're a baker. What are you doing trying to do? You guys aren't skilled in doing it. How can you, well, they started all these kinds of things. Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of the rubbish stones that are burned? In verse three, it says, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down their stone wall. So can you just imagine these guys? Yeah, you can't build a thing. (laughs) And on and on it goes. I mean, can you imagine? You're trying to get a work done and somebody's just pounding on you and pounding on you, and pounding on you. I want to serve the Lord. I want to be usable in the Well, you didn't even finish high school. How can you serve the Lord? Yeah, but I I think that God has a call in my, hey, I I know you back from when you were a teenager. I know what's going on in your life. 
Yeah, but I think that God can use me in this. Yeah, but remember that relationship that fell all apart. Remember, remember what, what, what direction you went, you know, four or five years ago. Man, the enemy is so quick to bring every bit of history back and throw it right in our face. But beloved, our God is a God of the future. He knows and he is able to take the past, to forgive it, to cleanse it, and then use the circumstances of the past, not to define who we are today, but in order that we might learn from that past to move forward in his strength. Nehemiah didn't let it distract him or the workers. They continued building until half the wall was up. And at that point, the enemy became so angry. And at this point now, it's not just words that they're doing. They're actually threatening life. They're threatening injury, again, toward all the workers on the wall. So Nehemiah, he places protection in among the workers. So among the workers, some had swords, some had spears, while the others had bows. Look what it says chapter 4, verse 16. And so it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears and the shields and the bows and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. And those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. What are the weapons of our warfare, gang? They're spiritual. They're not swords and daggers and bows and arrows. Weapons of our warfare are spiritual. Maybe God hasn't called you to teach a Sunday school class or lead a Bible study or in some of these other areas. But you know what? Maybe God has called you to be the prayer warrior, to be the one with the bow or the arrow or the sword, whatever it might be, to stand besides those that are doing that work. Are there needs within the body? Absolutely. But one of the greatest needs that we have within this fellowship is the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints for the work of ministry. That's why even the ones that were working also had that weapon. You see, all of us together. In chapter 5, Nehemiah learns those that had been placed in positions of authority over the people, they had been mistreating them. They started charging them all these taxes. Can you imagine? Man, I'm working on the wall. I can't pay the taxes. That's all right. You live here. You got to pay the tax. That's what was going on. And once he heard about it, he condemned those that were in authority and he made them promise that they would restore and not mischarge the people again. And Nehemiah made them take an oath. Nehemiah chapter five, verse 12. Then I called the priest and required an oath from those that were doing this, that they would do according to this promise. And then I took out the fold of my garment. I, I shook out the fold of my garment. In other words, he came and just started shaking his robe in front of him. And he said, so may God shake out each man from his house and from his property who does not perform this promise. Even thus, may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, amen, and praise the Lord. And then the people did according to this promise. You know, it's interesting. Nehemiah, even in his position, 
uh, kind of in charge of this whole thing with the authority of the king of Persia behind him. He didn't even take all of the provisions that the king had given him for himself. He didn't, he didn't make himself rich. As a matter of fact, he ended up working on the wall just like everyone else. As a matter of fact, the word tells us that he fed a multitude of people daily at his table because, again, he knew, man, this is the Lord's thing. I don't want to be selfish in any of it. But, you know, by now, you understand, hopefully, you realize by now, the enemy still doesn't rest. Everything seems to be going good, but the enemy is back at it again. Even when restoration, even when reconciliation, all of these things were taking place even within the body of the people of Israel. Those that were cheating others, man, they said, man, I, I won't do that anymore. And they restored what was going on. People working side by side, regardless of man, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, they were all working together side by side. And yet the enemy is still gonna do all that he can to cause confusion and fear. Every time a church will have a revival, every time you see the Spirit of God rising up within the church, there's going to be times that the enemy will come back, try to bring in that confusion and fear. And so we find that Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, they wanted to make an offer to Nehemiah. They asked him to come out and we want to go and meet with you. We want you to come, verse two, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of what? Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no, that ought to be a clue right there. In the plain of, oh, no, oh, no. Anyway, he he understood what was going on. What what their desire was, they wanted him to stop. They wanted him to get distracted. They, They wanted to probably cause him great harm physically. But Nehemiah saw it coming and he refused. They even had a secret informer there who then came to Nehemiah and says, hey, look, maybe we need to go into the house of the Lord. Maybe we need to get into the temple because I think these guys are going to try and kill you and maybe you and I, we can go in there and we can kind of hide out from the enemy. But Nehemiah didn't bite at that bait either. Look at verse 11, chapter 6. He says, and I said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Verse 12, then I, Nehemiah, perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. So Nehemiah and the workmen, they continued the work. The wall was finished in 52 days. Miraculous even at that. The enemy sought to get a friendly word in in order that he might work his way in to bring destruction. But God was faithful. They finished the wall in 52 days. You had guys that were goldsmiths. You had guys that were bakers. You had guys that were farmers. You had priests. You had singers. You had all of this working on that wall. None of them probably or very few of them were truly stonemasons. That's why they say, yeah, Fox is going to jump on that and knock the whole thing over. Even the enemy knew what the gifts that these people had, yet they had committed it to the Lord. And guys, that's the same way for you and I. We know our weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. The enemy knows my weaknesses. But I also know that my God is greater than all of those weaknesses. 
And so as we commit ourselves to him, even when the enemy comes against us, we can see literally the supernatural hand of God working. This wall around all of Jerusalem as well as its gates, man, built in 52 days. That's less than two months. And at the same time, you got the enemy coming at you. So you're having to work with one hand and and, and hold a sword with another. Or only half your crew is really working while the others are standing guard. And yet God did what he planned and purposed to do. Chapter 6, verse 16, and it happened. When all our enemies heard of it, heard that they had built a wall in 52 days, And all the nations around us saw this, that they were very disheartened in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was done by our God. That's why God uses our weaknesses so that his glory shines through. Isn't that what he told Paul? He says, man, it's in your weakness that my strength is shown. But look at verses 17 through 19. We won't go through it. The trickery of the enemy never stops. He pretends to be a friend. The enemy comes in looking to kill, to steal, and destroy. Every chance, every possibility he can. Down in chapter 7, Nehemiah turns the keys of the city literally over to Hananiah, his brother, and to Hananiah, uh, pronounced another way, the leader of the citadel to Hananiah. Hananiah and Hananiah. He gave them instructions about closing up the city at night. Don't open the gates until the sun burns hot upon them. Remainder of the chapter lists all those who had returned to Israel from the exile there in Babylon. And then chapters 8, 9, and 10, they speak of the revival that finally comes upon the people of Israel. And it's interesting that although there are some instances of partial revival or a desire to serve the Lord, it wasn't until the reading of the word of the Lord that the fullness of that revival came. They had stood against all the attack of the enemy. They didn't back down. They followed hard in the work of the Lord. They didn't stop until it was finished. They had shown themselves committed to the work of the Lord and, and to the things of his desire, committed to the Lord himself and to his work, and that's when revival came. Guys, sometimes we want to have revival first, and then we'll follow in faithfulness. I believe, because I've seen it, I have seen it time and time again throughout the word of God, where commitment and faithfulness come first. Then the Lord brings that fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit and revival upon the land. Look at chapter 8. I love how this is all laid out, and we won't be able to read it all, so I'm going to be skipping through here a little bit. All of the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the month, of the seventh month. And then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Oh, down in verse seven, a whole bunch of guys, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, and all those other guys, uh, they helped the people to understand the law. 
and the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense. These guys, again, they, they gave kind of the expository teaching as Ezra read. They would stand with small groups and kind of help them to understand what was being read before them. What a great model that is. Helped them to understand. And Nehemiah, who was a governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't mourn, don't weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the Lord, or words of the law. And he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send portions to those that have nothing prepared. For this day is holy to the Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Revival broke out. People began to confess their sins. All of chapter nine is just this continual confession of sin. They, they, they were covered in sackcloth, ashes. They began fasting now because of that. For a fourth of the day, we read that they, they would read from the word of God. And then for a fourth of the day, they confessed and they worshiped the Lord. So you can figure for, uh, if you figured out if my, my math is usually horrible, but for about uh, three hours, because we're talking daylight hours. So for about three hours, they would hear from the word of the Lord. And then for about three hours, they would just have a praise and worship service. Again, just a great time. Then the other six hours, they'd finish whatever they needed to do during the day. Chapter 11, though, tells us of the people who lived in Jerusalem by families and numbers. Uh, We're not going to go through that. You can study that on your own and make a good study out of that. Uh, Chapter 12 gives us the placements and the names of the priests and the Levites. Uh, We also read about the dedication service of the wall. The priests and the Levites and the singers and the musicians, they had two large what they call Thanksgiving choirs, and they were all assembled together. And I love what it says there in Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43. Also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Sometime after that point, this great celebration, this great revival that takes place, sometime after that, Nehemiah had already given Hanani and Hanani the keys to the city, says, you guys take care of things. Well, he goes back to Babylon. We don't know quite how long he is gone, but when he came back, he realized this things aren't right. Things aren't good. They're not the way that I left. As a matter of fact, uh, Tobiah, his old nemesis, he's getting free room and board in a, in a room in the temple where some of the temple implements were supposed to be stored, and where they were, they, they don't know. Well, Nehemiah threw him out, threw out all of his stuff, He found out that the portions payment or the feeding and the care for the Levites, they hadn't been taking care of that either. He found out that the people themselves had been working on the Sabbath day, again, treading on the wine presses as as well as doing a multitude of other labor on the Lord's day. And then he also, can you believe this? He finds out that a lot of them had started marrying foreign women again, women who did not know the Lord. Does that sound like a broken record? Let me ask you this, because we can look at them and we can say, stupid, stupid, stupid. So let me ask you this. Have you ever done a sin that you've repented of in the past? Yeah, yeah. 
So what do you do? Give up at that point and say, I'll never make it? No, that's when, as I say, when we fall, we fall forward. We fall forward. Say, Lord, I blew it again. Chapter 13, verse 25, real quick. Nehemiah contended with them and he cursed them. He struck some of them. He pulled out their hair and he made them swear by God saying, you shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Israel had every chance to change their lives and the direction of their lives. They had been in captivity for 70-something years. It was a slap by God to say, hey, wake up. And then God blessed them, brought them back into the land. But somehow they continued to slip back into the sinfulness of their old human nature. And although the temple had been rebuilt as a place of worshiping God, they turned away from that and they abused it for their own selfish reasons. The walls and the towers that had been built around the city were built for their protection, but now they were inviting the enemy inside the walls, inside their homes, inside their lives as they married these foreign women. We read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We expect that after 70 years of exile, the children of God would wake up and understand what an awesome God we serve. You read about the times of confession and revival through both of these books and you expect the children of God to walk according to God's desires and to his plans. But once again, we see there are so many, though they continue to receive the teachings, they never learn the lessons. Nehemiah is not a complete story. It's only part The rest of the story comes in the few years that went on. Prophets prophesying to them, calling them back to God. We never hear of any great revivals again. Finalized, we get to Malachi, about 425 BC. Then there's silence for 400 years. Silence from God. No prophet arises until one prophet comes on the scene fellow by the name of John the Baptizer. And he comes in declaring the words of an ancient prophet, Isaiah. And he tells the people of Israel, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken And the word of your God stands forever. You see, that's the promise of our God. We fail, we get back up. We fail, he restores. We fail, he continues to lift us up. Because in our weakness, his strength is declared and shown. Does that give us opportunity then? Oh, shall we sin that grace might abound? Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. You're missing the whole thing. You're missing the whole thing if you can look at Israel and say, well, Israel got away with it, so so can I. You've heard the teaching, but you've missed the lesson. The greatness of our God, the long-suffering of our God, the patience of our God. That gives hope to the hopeless. But don't let it give courage to the brazen and to the wicked. Because our God will bring judgment also. Amen. 
Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.